I had said I, that song has been on my heart all morning. Chris, I don't know how you heard me in the shower. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a scary thought, but um, things that are above. Things that are above. Like last week, we, we looked briefly at Paul's greeting to the church in Colossae. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and then in verses 4 and 5, I want you to look at, look at this. Um, so if you would look in Colossians chapter 1, if you would pray with me before we begin. Father, again, I, God, I stand here before your people with the task of declaring to them what your word says. And Lord, the weight of that never escapes me. Father, in and of myself, I have nothing to say. But Lord, I do proclaim the one we've sung about. The one that Paul preached. God, him we proclaim, the name of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, eyes to see and hearts to understand. God, what your spirit speaks through the, the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, he speaks the very thing to us today here at Wales. Father, help us to hear. Help us to receive. And help us, Lord, by your spirit to respond as you would have us to. God, thank you for your grace that you've shown us in your son Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Paul said in verse 3, he said, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. As I mentioned last week, this, there's a certain amount of ambiguity to, that, to the way he words that there uh, about, the, about hope. And there were two possibilities. One that is either he's talking about because of their faith and love, Paul is saying he knows they have a hope in heaven or because of that their faith and their love was, was a result of the hope that they heard proclaimed by the gospel. And there's truth to both of those. I mean, neither one of them are false, but I believe what Paul is getting at here is that is the second one there, that the, um, the faith, their faith and love were the result of the hope laid up for them in heaven. There was proclaimed of what, it, what was in heaven because of what Christ has accomplished for them and of his place now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. And so it's that view I believe that Paul has and, and the reason for this is the way he concludes his statement there. He said, because of the hope lit up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. That's why their hope was there because it's proclaimed in the gospel. There's no other word, no other message that gives us the hope that the gospel does. And the word hope, naturally, it looks toward the future. Everybody that has a hope in something is looking forward to the future. There's something in the future that they're hoping for, and everyone has hopes of something. Everyone has hopes, and the problem is this, is not having hope, it's where is our hope rooted? Where is our hope rooted? Some people, it's rooted and can be disturbed by their health. They have hopes about their health. They have financial hopes. They have relational hopes. They have political hopes. <laughs> we live in a world that's constantly changing. I mean, it's, from one moment to the next, things change. You know, you get a new job and you think things are going to go well and then it doesn't take long and things turn upside down. And it doesn't turn out the way you hoped it would. We've all been there. We've all been there. I, I was sending a message to Nathan this morning for the bulletin. 
And I, I, I was looking at some of the statistics on anxiety in our culture today. And you know what? Debilitating anxiety is one of the problems our culture faces today. And it was shocking to me that our youth are suffering from anxiety at rates that we've never seen before. You know, I, when I was growing up, I, mean, I never had to worry about things that our kids are worrying about today. And as I opened up my email account to send it to Nathan, the first thing that popped up was this headline. Listen to it. It said, it said, on the ballot in Iowa, Iowa's having their caucuses this week. On the, on the ballot in Iowa, fear, anxiety, and hopelessness. As the caucuses near, voters plow through snowy streets to hear the can candidates and casually talk about the prospects of World War III, civil unrest, and a nation on the brink. I was looking at the, at looking up hope, Googled hope yesterday. And where there was a doctor in, uh, at Harvard named Adam Stern. And he, somebody, he was asked the question, how do we face these things? How do we face the anxiety and all these things we see in our culture today? Listen to what he says. He said, mainly, we find ways to oppose the dread of life's dangers with hope. And it's an aspirational feeling that circumstances can improve, that we can persist, that there is at least as much good in the world as bad. Now listen to him. Yet, listen, grounded in realism, hope serves as a positive function. Yet, beyond, yet hope beyond the possible, possible is a recipe for eventual disappointment and disillusionment. Now, I want you to hang on to this. Unrealistic expectations can keep people from embracing moments of comfort and joy in the here and now as they continue to look in the distance toward a mirage. I wonder what the good doctor would have said to a man that walked into his office with his wife. And the man asked him, well, why are y'all here today? And he said, well, my wife is expecting and we want to get a physical to see if she's, everything's all right. And so the man looks at the chart and he sees the names here. Abraham, 100 years old. Sarah, 90. And he looks at him and he said, now, Mr. Abraham, what makes you think your wife's going to have a baby? She's 90 years old. You're 100. Well, doctor, because God promised me she would. The doctor would have been calling for another doctor. And that a holiday. Listen, unrealistic expectations. I don't know if anybody had more unrealistic expectations than Abraham at one, at holding on to the promise of God. God gave him that promise when he was 75 years old. Year after year pass. You ever wonder what God is going to come through for you? Do your hopes ever start to wane? Look with me at Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, beginning of verse 18, God gave him that promise, and we're told about it in Genesis chapter 15, I believe. Look what he says in, eight, in uh, Romans 4, verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope. In other words, he believed when there was no hope. He had hope when there was no hope. He could look around him and he looked at his own body. God made him a promise and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. As he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19, and he did not weaken in faith when he was considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as they gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Listen, God has made promises. God has made promises. And God is fully able to fulfill everything he's promised you he's going to do. Now, he may not promise you a child in your old age, but I'll tell you what he does promise. He does promise if you'll trust me, if you'll trust what I've done for you, if you'll trust my son with your sin, I can assure you of this. You will be forgiven. You will be forgiven. And that doesn't just go for it. Listen, that goes for a believer just as much as for an unbeliever. Listen, the gospel never loses its appeal to anyone, believer included. You see, Christian hope is granted on God's word and his promises and the one through whom he guaranteed those promises. Look real quickly at Hebrews chapter 6 for a moment. And this was kind of alluded to, and I believe in our songs, and in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning of verse 15. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise, the what? The promise that God said, through you will all the nations of the earth be blessed. Through you. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this hope, uh, excuse me, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. God made a promise. He made a promise, and he swore to it. He said, Abraham, I'm going to do this thing, and I give you my oath, I'll do it. Listen, your, your eternity, your greatest hopes don't hinge on what the government does. It doesn't hinge on what the doctor tells you. It doesn't hinge on what your spouse or your children or your parents, it hinges on nothing else other than God's promise that he will do what he says he will do. And I know that. Because not only did God promise it, but he swore to it. And this is a God who cannot, look, not that God doesn't lie, God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. So when God makes a promise, you can trust it. You can trust him. I, I was reading, you know what, this, just don't turn there. But I want to point out something. And, and it kind of, I think it kind of pointed to it in the song, the song we sang a while ago. When darkness seems to hide his face. I, I was reading in Psalm 13 yesterday. Listen to how it starts. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I, I, listen, you may not be aware of this, but as a believer, listen, there will come times in your life when God will seem to hide from you. He will seem to hide. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's times when someday it seems like God is distant. What happens during those times? Listen, David was so desperate. He said, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lest, lest my, uh, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. Listen, the foundation, the stability and security of David's life rested on his close fellowship with the Lord. And when that wasn't there, David was upset. You see, David needed, David craved the closeness of God in his life. I wonder how, I mean, do you crave that? 
Do you crave the nearness of God? Or is he somebody that's just out there? Do you know who you're worshiping? Do you know who you're singing about? But I love the way David finishes it. Listen, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of God seeming to hide his face, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. In the midst of this darkness, God, I am trusting in your faithfulness. I'm trusting in your long suffering. I'm trusting in your loving kindness. I'm trusting in your grace and your mercy. I trust the fact that you love me. I'm trusting that. God, you may seem distant, and I don't know why, and I don't know what I'm supposed to learn in this time of darkness, but I know all other ground is sinking sand. I know that, and I'm going to keep standing. I'm going to keep trusting, God. I'm going to keep looking. I'm going to keep praying because my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Do you see? Listen, I, I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, what God promises in the light, do not doubt in the darkness. Because times of darkness are coming. They're coming. If, it, if you're not in the middle of it now, it's, it'll come as a believer. And folks, it's a, it, God, it, it's a test. God tests our faith. You know it? He tests it. He tests it. Look back at Colossians chapter 1 again. Colossians chapter 1, begin, uh, pick back up. Look at verse 15. I want us to look what, what he says about Christ. This is the one that Paul says he proclaims. Verse 15, he said, he is invis uh, the image of the invisible God. He makes a number of statements that I've highlighted. I'm going to pick them out for you. Number one, he is the image of God. In verse, uh, verse 15, he's the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that he was created, the first thing created. What that means is that he is the one and only son of God. He is the firstborn. He's before all things. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent. Everything God does is to glorify his own son. Everything he does. I mean, we touched on it in Sunday school this morning. What is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we do that through Christ. Look, he's not only in, uh, not only he is, but by him, all things were created in verse 16. All things were created through him. All things were created through him. Look, and, and, and in verse uh, 16, all things were created through him and for him. For him. Do you realize, listen, I want you to think about this. Can you say to yourself, God, Jesus, I was created through Christ. I was created for him. For him. God does everything for a purpose. You are here for a purpose. And don't, listen, don't diminish the, the, the purpose of God by saying, I don't matter. Listen, I won't tell you, nothing gives people significance like being, like knowing the fact that you were created for him. He created you for himself. You don't need somebody else to make you feel good about yourself. Listen, this world wants to teach us that we need to have self-esteem. Listen, myself, I don't have any self-esteem. <laughs> I don't have to have. Jesus created me for himself. I am here for his purpose. You're here for his purpose. He's got a purpose for you being here. Don't think for one, to say I don't matter, you're diminishing the creation of God. You're saying, God, you did something for nothing. God never does anything for nothing. You matter. You matter. There's a purpose. And God has a plan for you. Created through him and for him. 
all things were created. In him, verse 17 to 19, look, in him, all things hold together. All things. You know the reason the stars don't just go flying off into the, you know the reason gravity doesn't, and we don't just go flying out into space. Do you know the reason your heart keeps beating? You know the reason you, you draw a breath? This is why. Because in Christ, all things hold together. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. I want you to listen. As you're reading verses one through four, I want you to think about, you thinking about something. We just got through with the celebrating the, the birth of Christ. I want you to think about the fact that there was a young lady named Mary who was found to be with child. Now, what Hebrews 1 that we're going to read about is going to talk about that child in her womb while he was in her womb. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Do you know he was holding up the world by the word of his power while he was in his mother's womb? Can you imagine that? The child she carried in her womb was the very one that kept her heart beating. He was the very one that kept everything going the way. It, he was the reason that the sun came up every morning. The reason the earth kept rotating on its axis. The reason the moon came up. The reason the clouds came and the rains came and the crops produced while he was in her womb that was going on. Isn't that remarkable? You know why? Because he never set aside who he was. God the son. He was God in the womb. In flesh. But he was God in the womb. I don't know how to explain all that. But I do know this, that if he ceased being God at any point in time, everything ceases. Everything ceases. He never stopped being God. He never lost his deity. He never said it. He set aside nothing of who he was. He didn't demean, nothing was diminished in his deity. What he did is he took on flesh. He didn't set aside anything. He took on flesh. Fully God, fully man. So the Christian's hope is secured by, is not secured by anything or anyone on earth. And neither will our hope be realized in this life. Nothing here. Paul told the Corinthians, he said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, if in this life only, we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. It's not just hope in this. We do have hope in this life. Don't think for a minute that there's not hope in this life. There is. But it's not bound to this earth. It's not bound to this earth. We don't find our hope fulfilled here. Our hope is not fulfilled on this earth. One of the promises that we have here is that that writer of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 5, he said, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even in those times of darkness, he will never leave or forsake us. And that, listen, when you're in those times when it seems like God is distant, we can trust the fact that he's never going to leave. He's never left. He's not going to come back because he never left. I, you know, I heard somebody say one time, how do I know? Listen, he said, I know God never, will never stop leaving, uh, loving me because he never started. There never was a time when God started loving. He's loved you with an everlasting love. With an everlasting love. He never started, so he'll never stop. It means that our hope lies, listen, 
What it does mean is that our fulfillment of our hope does lie on the other side of the grave. On the other side of the grave. And that's why Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, look, we do grieve in death. We do grieve in that. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We, we don't. Every one of us has grieved at a, at, a, at a graveside before. I'm sure every one of us have. And sometimes it's people that are closer to us than, and it's heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. I, I, listen, I, I've buried my mother. Then I buried my stepmother. I buried my dad. And last of all, my stepfather. Some of you have buried children. Folks, I, I can't imagine some of the losses we feel, but listen, we don't grieve like those who don't have hope. We do grieve. I've been in funerals before where believers knew that the person had never borne any testimony to being a believer. Folks, that's grieving. That, I mean, that's when you grieve. I mean, I don't know anybody else's heart. I can't tell whether they're a believer or not, but you know, if there's no evidence at all, if there's no fruit at all, Debbie and I were at, I forget if it was Giles County or I believe that's where it was, and I believe she was with me. And we, we were out in the lobby area, and man, there was all this, it sounded like ACDC or something playing in the, um, in one of the rooms back there. And, and listen, I heard somebody say, well, you know, they just didn't, they're down there in hell partying with all, with everybody and just, you know, drinking it up, having a big time. Folks, they don't know what hell's like. If you think you're going to go to hell and party with people, you don't know what it's like. And I don't know where you get your idea what it means to be separated from God's grace. We think hell is a place where God isn't. I tell you, hell is a place where God is with absolutely no grace and mercy at all. Hell is a place where God is there in presence in his wrath. And you know, we don't want to, I, I hate thinking about hell. I don't want to think about anybody. I couldn't imagine anybody wanting anybody to go there or wishing anybody would. It's almost too horrible to imagine. I think it is too. I don't think we can have a clue what it's like. And so we don't, we don't understand what God has rescued us from. Hope lies on the other side of the grave. And that's why Paul told him in, in Colossians chapter 3, Look what he tells him in chapter, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. He said, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We have got to learn how to set our minds on things that are above. And that's what Peter talks about that. And we're going to finish up in 1 Peter chapter 1. I, I, this is incredible. I love how Peter words this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. A living hope. Listen, our hope isn't in a tomb. Our hope is that there is an empty tomb. Not, not that we're hoping there is. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope. Hope in the Bible means that we are assured of God's word, God's promise, right? That's what Bible hope is. 
It says, God, I know you promised you can't lie. You made an oath that you would do it. By, and I trust you. And I trust you. A living hope. A living hope. It's not a dead hope. And I, it's, but why? Because it's through the resurrection of Christ. Listen, if, if, if Jesus had died for our sins, and that's it. If there was a body in a tomb, we'd have no hope. We'd have no hope. What turned, we talked about some this, this morning in Sunday school, what turned the disciples from running when he was arrested? For fearing for the life, for hiding. What, what changed when they saw the resurrected Christ? When they saw the resurrected Christ. That's when Peter, who denied him three times, who said, oh, they may all deny you, but I won't. Three times. One, two, three. And who did God pick to preach on Pentecost? Isn't that like God? Listen, he takes the biggest failure, the most <laughs> boisterous, bloviating, proud, arrogant, the one that said, I'll never, and he did. Peter, you're going to bring the first message. Isn't that like God? To an inheritance. Look at how he describes inheritance. It's imperishable. Why is it imperishable? Because Christ is imperishable. Death could not hold him. Hell couldn't keep him. The tomb couldn't hold him. Listen, nothing was going to hold him back. He's imperishable. Why is it undefiled? Because Christ can't be corrupted. He can't be corrupted. And it's unfading. Why is it unfading? Because the glory of Christ cannot be diminished. It cannot be diminished. And it's kept in heaven for you. Listen, God has got a deposit. God has got a, an inheritance waiting on us. And it's in his son. Everything we could ever hope for is in him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it's going to be like one day when we see his face? I, I, all of this is going to fade away. All of our troubles that we think we have right now, all the worries we have right now, all, the, all these times of struggle and trial and tribulation and, are going to melt away are going to melt away. They won't matter anymore. All these things that we worry about today, all the anxiety, all, we need to put all that aside. Listen, that's why Paul said, set your mind on things that are above. Seek the things that are up there. That doesn't mean that we're no earthly good down here. What it means is this, we keep the right perspective on our priorities. We don't worry about things that do us no good. I want you to look at another way. Well, not even in here, but I want us to look at this. This is where I want to finish. I'm going to pull in Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, we're going to look at two more scriptures real briefly. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes to Titus, and he said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved. What that does mean is that there's only salvation in one. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it means, salvation for all people. Training us 
to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, look, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, that is what we need to be looking for. Our blessed hope. That's what we're waiting for. We're not waiting for who gets elected next fall. I, I, folks, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You, you know what John Calvin said? John, listen, we talk some about our society today in Sunday school, about if it's getting worse, is it worse? Listen, here's what John Calvin said. When God wants to judge a nation, he gives it wicked rulers. He gives it wicked rulers. And folks, I'm going to tell you what. There's not just one wicked ruler in, in, in Washington. There's a whole slew of them. They got, they got houses of them up there called the Senate. And the, and, and the lower house. We got them in Nashville. God gives us wicked rulers. So we can't look there. We can't look to health care. Don't, don't plan on looking at your doctor or your insurance company to take care of you. Your insurance company will turn you down. You can't look to unemployment. You can't look at, I mean, anything. Financial, you can, I don't care how much money you got in the bank right now. It won't take that much that for things to get turned upside down and it all be wiped out. You know, the less money you have, the less there is to lose. Less to worry about. You know, Proverbs says that. Said a rich man, you can, you can, you can get to a rich man. I said, but a, but a poor man hears no threat. Look, I'll take everything you got. <laughs> well, come get it, Bubba. <laughs> Don't have to worry about it. Come get it. It's amazing. The people that have the most are the people that worry the most. You know, some don't have much worry, too, but we, everybody worries. Everybody's anxious about things. But we need to, listen, we've got to keep our focus right. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing. Of, listen, when those skies split and he comes, all these things we've been worried about and stressed about and anxious about are going to melt away. That's why he says, waiting for the blessed hope. But not only does that keep our mind right, and priorities, but I'm going to tell you something else. It's a motive to live a holy life. Look at First John chapter three. In First John chapter three, verses one through three. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. <laughs> a child of God. You know, by that, you know what that means? It means? If we're a child of God, it means we're a joint heir with Christ. Listen, I don't have to inherit anything down here. I've got an inheritance up there. And listen, I'm going to tell you something. We, we look at uh, Revelation, read all these other, we hear about what, streets of gold? We hear about the river of life, the tree of life on either side of the river that gives its fruit that it, for the healing of the nations. We, we read about 12 gates made of solid pearl. We hear about these walls made of all these jewels, these rare jewels, and I cannot even fathom the, the beauty of heaven and all the and all that's there. But we're joined Ezra Christ. I have a feeling that 
those streets of gold and those gates of pearl will, will fade the moment we see his face. The moment we see his face. We're children now, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. But look what he says next in verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If your hope is to see Christ, if your hope is in a resurrected Savior, if your hope is in his glorious appearing, then we best seek to be pure as he is. The mark is holiness in our life. The mark is the righteousness that he has imputed to us. We pursue that. Not a one of us, listen, there's no one here that is, that we're not as we should be. We're not as we should be. And you know, we say things like, well, you know, I'm only human. And, and I've come to realize that, you know, it's a lot of times for me, if, that's just an excuse. I'm only, a, I'm only human. It's just an excuse. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Irish. I just, I, I've got a temper. You know, or I'm a redhead. I'm just, I'm just that way. Or, or my mom was that way. And so I'm my daddy. I got it from, listen, no, you stand on your own two feet. The father's not going to call your mama up there to answer for you. And your mama may try to get up there to make excuses <laughs> like a lot of mamas do. Listen, it won't matter. We'll stand before, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives. And what we're to be busy about doing right now is two things about being pure as he is. If we're hoping for him, if he is our hope, then we need to be living a life that's pure. And seeking to live a life that's pure. And waiting for our hope. Our glorious hope for him to return for us. That's where our hope is. That's the Christian's hope. And that hope can't be taken away. It can't be taken away. And if, listen, I, it, it torments me to see how people in the Christian communities today are confused. We seem to be blending politics and and our faith. Do you know that? Listen, it matters not who's in that White House. I don't care if it's a D or an R or an, I don't care what the initial is after their name. It matters not. Don't confuse your faith with politics. Don't confuse the two. And just because you're an American doesn't mean you're a Christian. And just because you live in the South doesn't mean you're a Christian. And just because you live in a conservative area of the country doesn't mean you're a Christian. Listen, what make, makes us a believer is when one realizes that they have no hope on them. That they're not standing on a foundation that's going to survive whatever comes. Jeremiah wrote in the book of Lamentations, he said, you know, I've, he had he'd seen his whole nation destroyed after warning them for decades what was coming and nobody listened. They wouldn't listen. He warned them. And you know, preacher after preacher warns people in pews and people don't listen. People of Israel said, we got time. We got time. 
Jeremiah saw all that. And, and the things that took place in Israel during those times when they were under, under siege, would, they're horrifying. They're horrifying. And Jeremiah said, I saw all this. And, and he said, it crushed me. And he said, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. that the loving kindness of God lasts forever. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. That's what Jeremiah hung on to, was the faithfulness of God and the mercies being new every morning. Folks, listen, I don't know where your hopes are. As a believer, maybe you've let them wane Maybe you're hoping in something you shouldn't be hoping in. Maybe you're trusting in something you shouldn't be trusting in. Our trust and our hope is in none but the, but the very Son of God who came to this earth for us. For us. For those who are His. And He will not fail to deliver one that the Father's given Him. He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. There's not one sheep. There's not one sheep of God that will escape the shepherd's hand. Not one. And if you're wondering whether you're his sheep or not, then I can tell you something. There's nothing more important in this world than hearing him call you to himself. Amen. And as believers, listen, if we've gotten sidetracked, if we've gotten diverted, if we've gotten confused, and if we've stopped looking for the one that's coming, and if we've not been seeking to be pure as he is, listen, there's nothing else that ought to take for, be foremost in our mind is to be ready when he comes. And not be shamed when he comes. Because listen, when he comes, we'll see him as he is. We'll see him as he is. And I don't want to, listen, I don't want him to find me. Not as I should be. Not as I could be. I don't want him to find me neglecting what I should be giving myself to. What I should have given myself to. I, you know, you've seen that old, heard that old saying, you'll never see on a tombstone, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. You'll never see that. I wish I'd have spent more time watching football. I wish I hadn't have wasted my time. You know what? They asked Billy Graham what, you know what he said? I wish I'd have spent more time in my Bible and in prayer. Those two things. I wish I'd have spent more time in God's word and in prayer. Not at work. I wish I'd have had a bigger bank account. Listen, that's what Bill, and listen, that ought to be the cry of every one of us that are believers. Don't wait. Don't wait. You know, one of the, you know when revival is going to come to this country? You know when all this is going to turn around? When we as God's people get serious about doing business with God. When we get serious about doing business with God. When we repent. When we repent. Listen, believers need to repent. I, anybody who's been a believer any time, at, any length of time at all realize... You're going to repent more after you come to Christ than you ever did before. <laughs> repent. Repent, believer. Somebody, you're around somebody in your world, wherever you, wherever you are, that needs to see a real believer in their life. They need to see it. 
Will you be one of them? No matter what anybody else does, will you be that one to get on our face before God and say, God, forgive me. I've neglected you. I've neglected my life with you. I've neglected my growth in, my, in, in, in Christ's likeness. I've, I've neglected this word. I've neglected prayer. I've neglected so much, God. Forgive me. And by your Holy Spirit, strengthen me to live a life that is pure before you and before other people so that when you come, I will not be ashamed before you. I want to look for your coming with joy. I want to, to see your face and not have to turn away in shame of the way my life is. Folks, when we start repenting as believers, the world around us will repent. You know that? Don't wait on some unbeliever to repent. Listen, believers, we need to. So that's what the call is today. Believer, repent. Repent. Peter said it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. It begins here. Regardless of what any other church does, what any other pastor does, what any other believer does, Let's repent. Get right. Call to him. Listen, I'm going to tell you this last thing. You'll never confess anything to God that he does not already know about. God is never shocked. He already knows. And what you'll hear or what you'll sense when we confess is this, child, I know. You know, we, sometimes we think we're waiting on God. God's waiting on us. He's waiting on us. Come, believer, come. He's waiting. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you so much for your patience with us. God, your long-suffering. God, you're so good to us. And Father, your mercy and your grace are not just for those who need a Savior, but for those of us who, who know you. God, would you do a work here this morning? God, that will ring out throughout eternity. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.